0: Well, good morning, guys. Good, uh, good to see all you guys. Yeah, glad, glad the faithful few set their clocks, and here we are. So I know it's tough. Spring, the spring is the tough one. Um, well, um, I know all of you, almost all of you. I'm Chris. Um, yeah, so we are going to be looking today at the doctrine of justification. So before we before we jump in, let's actually let's take a minute to to pray, and then uh, and then we'll start looking at that. Father, we do thank you for the morning and uh, just the new day that's ahead of us, and uh, we think of your word that tells us, um, yeah, it's because of your great love that we are not consumed, uh, and that your compassions are new every morning, and that you are faithful. So we yeah, just pray that you would give us um, the mercy that we need to walk in whatever you would bring to us today. We pray that you would bless our time together as a church family, uh, that we would enjoy one another's fellowship, that we would praise you for it, and uh, that we would also be just built up by the preaching, the teaching of your Word, and uh, yeah, just by all the things that we do together as a body this morning. Uh, in particular, As we uh, consider this doctrine now, we pray that You would give us um, ears to hear, that You would help us to understand, that You would uh, instruct us and use it for, uh, again, Lord, for our building up and for our, um, yeah, so that we would know more, that we would understand Your Word more, so that we would love You more and love one another more. Um, Lord, would You help us, and uh, would You be glorified in our time. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Uh, well, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the doctrine of justification this morning. Everybody, get a handout. Um, hey, could you give me one of those, Yosa? One of those handouts. Sorry, I should have got one myself. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we're gonna be considering justification, and just by way of of sort of beginning, Job chapter eight, uh, one of. One of Job's friends asks, or, or, or doesn't ask, but declares to him, this is the end of chapter 8, that God will not reject a blameless man, nor take the hand of evildoers. Remember, Job had faced a lot of just hardship and trials, and, and so his friends are trying to tell him, hey, a, a blameless man, God won't, won't turn away. Um, God will not take the hand of evildoers. And so Job's reply is, and this is chapter, chapter 9, verse 2, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? And so that question sort of frames what this doctrine is getting at. How can, how can a man be in the right before God? Uh, and, and in some sense, all the, all the religions of the world are trying to answer this question, right? Um, they're trying to to answer the question: How how do I attain to enlightenment? How do I get to God? Like, what is the standard that we're trying to reach, and how do we get there? Uh, so, is it is it you know these these steps in this order? Is it my my good works, my good deeds, whatever standard we're using to define what that is? They have to be uh, they have to outweigh our bad deeds. Um, what, what is it? How is it that we can actually be right before God? And the reality is that unless God himself answers the question for us, unless he tells us, all we have is darkness. Like we're left to sort of grow up and reach and, and, and try all these different things, but we have no idea uh, where we're going. We have no idea what we're striving for. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're left with mere speculation and, and all of our efforts will prove to be futile. And so uh, this is why uh, God, God does reveal himself to, to us, to man. Uh, he, he has revealed himself to humanity generally, as we'll see. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll even see on your handout, we're loosely going to follow this structure of Romans 1:18 to 320. And then down in section three, Romans 3:21 3, to26. And on the back page, Romans 3.27. So we're, we're loosely going to follow uh, sort of the flow of Romans and how it's unfolding to help us understand this. But uh, the reality is that God has uh, he's revealed himself to humanity generally by the things that have been made in creation. Um, and then he's also revealed himself especially to humanity by, uh, by his word, which is given through his prophets, and ultimately culminating in his son. And this is why John is going to call Jesus the light of the world. Because the darkness that we're in, the questions that we're striving to answer, that we're seeking to answer, Jesus is the one who, who in the fullest sense, answers them for us. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so that said, in Romans, getting a little more concrete here, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul, write, he's writing, in the first chapter, and he's telling us, uh, you know, uh, many of us will have heard the verse: "I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what it is—the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For in it, in the gospel, um, it for in it. I'm sorry, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith." As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul is hanging his hat on the gospel and saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and he's about to tell you why. Salvation is, uh, the, the power of God for salvation is contained in it. And it's going to be very much needed. The reason he's not ashamed, the reason that he loves it, is because, as he's going to get to in, in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. Um, From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness have done what? Suppress the truth. For what can be known um, about God is plain to them because he has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so what does that mean? They're without excuse, right? So if we say that, if if Paul is telling us here, God has, he's revealed himself in some sense in creation, in all the things that have been made, we can look to the things around us. We can look to order. We can look to uh, the way things work, the way things, um, the existence of things, the, the heavens. We can look to all the things around us and say, there's clearly a God. God clearly exists. God clearly has made things to function a certain way. And it's a, he tells us, namely, his eternal power and his divine nature are what are clearly perceived. And, and what that leaves us with is men are without excuse. But he also, uh, getting to Romans chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, he's going to say, now he's, he's, he's intending to get to those who have the written word, uh, to the Jews, you also are without excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. Because in passing judgment on one another, what, what do you do? You condemn yourself. Why? You, why Jews? You who have the law, why do you condemn yourself? Because what have you done with that word? You've broken it, right? So, so those who have the decrees, those who have the revelation of God, they're in the same boat. Um, and that's what Paul's going to get at, even at the top of, of chapter 3, where he's going to say, uh, what advantage has a Jew? Well, the advantage does have, or, or the Jew does have an advantage. His advantage is that the decrees of God, the oracles of God, have been entrusted to him. But what he's done with them is, is rebellion. What he's done with them is broken them, because he, in himself, cannot keep it. And so, uh, the conclusion he comes to, the conclusion he's going to come to is Um, Yeah, the the Jews likewise, though they have an advantage in having the written oracles of God, in the end, they're no better off because they've broken them. Um, So all that said, back in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, actually, will somebody read that if you're there? Read chapter 2, verse, I'm sorry, not chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 13. Good. Yeah, so we're, we're about to unpack the meaning of this word justified, but I want us to see who is it if we say, um, if, if we're going to say the question we're trying to answer is how can a man be in the right before God? And it is, it is the doers of the law who will be justified. This, this is what, he, that's what he's telling us is it's the doers. Those who will be in the right before God are the doers of the law. Um, and then as we've, as we've sort of talked about and discussed, Jews and Gentiles are both in a predicament. Us, we, all of us, that, fits, that includes all of us and every, every human who has existed and will exist. Um, we're all in the same boat. We, we need help, right? We need, uh, we need someone else. Um, somebody read for us chapter 3, verses, uh, let's do verses 9 to 20. And when you read, read out loud. So if you're in the front, let's make sure the people in the back can hear you and vice versa. 9 to 20.
1: What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For by the works of the law, no human being (coughs) will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge
0: of sin. Yeah. So by works of the law, how did he finish up? No one. No one, right? No human being will be justified in God's sight. So works of the law, um, we have no hope of being justified through them, because through works of the law comes knowledge of sin. We... We see the law, we have the law, we see the decrees contained in it, and we go, oh, I've broken that, I've broken that. It makes us, it, what it, its function is to make us aware. It's not its only function, its function is to reveal who God is. But as, as it reveals who God is, it also is helping us to understand we are not God and we need God. We need him to help us in some way. Um, so it's going to show us our sin. So, from 118 to 320, the, the sort of summary is that we see that all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, uh, are condemned before God and by works of the law have no hope of, of being justified before Him. Um, so, if we, if we can't be justified before God by works of the law, how then can we be in the right before Him? And, and so our aim is, is to answer that question. So let's, let's talk a little bit about. We have this word justified. Let's talk a little bit about what it means. Okay, to, uh, yeah, you have the definition right there on your handout. It means to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. <coughs> um, and, and the distinction that we want to make here in, in saying it means to be declared righteous is that it does not mean to be made righteous. And and I think the implications of that we're gonna we'll unpack as we go, but this this declaration to be declared righteous it's a legal it's a legal term it has legal uh, sort of sort of connotations, and and it's a declaration particularly of one's right standing in relation to the law, and that's what we mean by it's it's a legal term, so one is either justified. Before the judge, or he's what? Condemned. He's condemned as guilty. Justified as righteous. Condemned as guilty. Um, that's your that's your two camps. So let's look uh, let's look at a few verses in the Old Testament. Somebody turn to Deuteronomy twenty five one. Hold on to that for a second. Can somebody get that? Yosef, uh, you got that one. And then uh, Eric, if you want to get Proverbs seventeen fifteen. And then somebody Exodus twenty three verse seven. Dan. Uh, and then Edwin, if you want to go ahead and get Romans 2.13, uh, hang on to these. We'll, we'll sort of unpack all these in a flow, but go ahead and grab that. And then Romans 8.33, can someone get that as well? Gotcha. And then um, I think that's, that's good for now. Actually, 1 Corinthians 4.4. Great. Uh, okay, so Deuteronomy 25 verse 1. Okay, yeah, so there's a dispute between men and they come into court and the judges decide between them acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. Uh, obviously, he's saying, he's saying something. He's, he's going to talk about what, what then should happen. But what is the assumption here? What is, when someone comes into court, there's a dispute. What is the judge doing? What is his function here? What is, but particularly... What is, what does it say he does for the innocent? Acquits. acquits. Yeah, so if someone is innocent, the assumption is that a judge does what? He acquits. The, the Hebrew word for acquit is the exact same as to justify. Okay, they are the, they are the same, uh, they're the same word. So acquit, justify, we're using inter- interchangeably here. Um, yeah, so it's assumed here that a judge is gonna acquit or justify the innocent, and then do what for the guilty? Condemn, right? That's, that, is the, uh, that is the judgment. Proverbs 17, 15.
1: He who justifies the wicked, and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination
0: to the Lord. Yeah, okay, so we have <laughs> what? Justify who? What is it? The wicked, the wicked okay. So someone who, a, a judge who justifies or declares to be righteous, one who is wicked, is one. And then what's the other? Yeah, condemning the righteous. A, a judgment of condemnation upon he who is, who is actually righteous. Um, so so what, we, what we see here is that this judge, in, in, in making these kinds of declarations, He's, it's actually what? It's an abomination. It's an affront to the reason that he's a judge, right? It's an affront to the existence and affront to the existence of his office. It's a wrong judgment.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's an abomination. Um, and, and in this particular case, um, I, I think we noticed something else. An innocent man can be condemned and a righteous man can be, um, can, I'm, I'm sorry, an innocent man, a righteous man can be condemned and a, a wicked guilty man can actually be, uh, declared righteous. But, in that declaration, what's not happening, the, the, the inherent what that person is, is not changing. It's a declaration doesn't, that doesn't match the reality of what the person is. So this declaration, this idea of justifying, this legal declaration, is according to the law, according to his standing with the law, is declaring him to be something, but it's not changing who he actually is. And, and that's, and, and the re- I think this is going to become more clear why this matters, but this is to reiterate that justification is not a making righteous, it is a declaring righteous, okay? So this judge doesn't make the person who is innocent, he doesn't make him evil, he doesn't make him wicked, and vice versa, he doesn't make the one who is wicked, he's not making him good, um, but he's, he's making a declaration so that in relation to the law, um, That's how he now relates to it. Okay. Um, Romans 2.13. Let's look at a a few uh, New Testament examples here. Romans 2.13. Who had that one? Yep. And we we mentioned this one in in sort of the opening. Uh, It is the doers of the law who will be declared righteous. (coughs) Okay. Romans 8.33. Good, yeah. So we have, just even here, the, the language of a charge. Um, yeah, just connoto- connotations of, of a court case, right? Being in a courtroom. Who, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Um, no one. Why? Because why? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's God who justifies. So if God is the judge... And no one, let's think about a little bit who God is. He's the giver of the law. Who loves the law? Who loves the decrees more than God? No one, right? No one does. No one loves justice. No one loves righteousness more than God. So if God justifies, if he declares righteous, who is left to condemn? His people. No one, right? Yeah, it it is a final judgment so uh yeah because god he he's gonna see he sees everything he knows every motive of the heart he knows every sin and so when he declares righteous it is a it is a just judgment um because he is he is upholding the law and we're going to see how that's possible here here in just a minute as well but please It's saying that by your, that's right, it's saying that by your works, by my works, none of us will be declared righteous, because we're not doers of the law. Um, so we need righteousness from another place. Yeah, that's not a try-harder No. It's a its a statement of, this is the reality. When you consider the law, you consider who's going to be declared righteous. It's going to be the one who does the law. But then he's going to go on and prove how, but no one does. Um, but it's a tr- it's meant to be a true statement about who's justified. Yep. So, <clears throat> uh, 1 Corinthians four four. Someone read that one. Whoever had that. Uh, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. There's the Lord judges me. Yeah. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Um, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. I'm not thereby justified. Why? Yeah, that's right. My conscience is not ultimately the judge. God is the judge. He is the one who declares righteous. He is the one who, who condemns. Good. And then, uh, I, I, I didn't mention this, I'll read this one. Luke seven twenty nine, or, or 28 and 29. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. This is Jesus speaking. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. Again, same, same, um, same Greek word as as righteous. They declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So, listen. When people declare God just, nobody's making God righteous, right? Nobody's making God anything. God is righteous, but they're declaring him to be righteous. They're they're recognizing the justice. Yeah, they're they're seeing. Um, The justice in his words. Good. Okay. So it's clear, from these passages, what we want to see is that the term for justification is used to denote a positional reality in relation to the law, position, standing, uh, legal declaration uh, in relation to, yeah, in, in one's relationship with God and his decrees, and the declaration justified the declaration of righteousness um, is established by the decree of God himself okay he is the judge so yeah justification has there's no reference here to the inner state of a man to what's happening on the inside it's a declaration from the outside it doesn't make us righteous it declares that we are righteous in reference to our position our standing before God that said when God declares righteous, it, it is the beginning. It is the starting in motion of a, what, what we might normally call progressive sanctification. Okay? And so when we talk about making righteous or, or conforming um, to, to the likeness of Jesus, it begins. But, but we are positionally declared righteous. That standing will not change. It's not based on who we are inherently. It's based on who Jesus is. And, but then as we behold Jesus by faith, he will conform us to the image of Jesus. Um, does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah, so, so God will begin at justification, at the beginning of our, um, yeah, our belief he will begin to conform us to love what he loves, to hate what he hates, to, to love him himself, uh, to hate whatever is in opposition of, to him and of the things that he, he loves. Um, and we just, yeah, we also want to say that no one is going to be progressively sanctified, progressively made like Jesus, who's not first been justified. Uh, that'd be the flip side way of, of saying that. Justification must happen in order for sanctification to happen. Uh, so Romans eight thirty is going to say those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, uh, he glorified. Okay, those who are justified, he's then going to sanctify. He's then going to sanctify, and one day when we see him fully, finally, we will be conformed to his likeness. Um, that's Romans eight thirty. So, it is possible to be more or less Christ-like, right? More or less sanctified um, in terms of progression but justification itself is not subject to to degrees okay our standing is not more or less justified um, and more justified than and more justified them this is from J.I. Packer justification is decisive for eternity being in effect the judgment of the last day brought forward Council of Trent, fifteen forty-seven. Does anybody know what that is? What happened there? Any takers? Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a counter it was a counter Reformation council that was seeking to clarify for the Catholic Church in opposition to the to the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. What What is justification? What What does it mean to be um, in in Christ? And so, what they actually did at the council, what they decreed, was that anyone who uh, who would say that we are justified by faith alone, was anathema, was excommunicated. Anyone who would say it is by faith alone that we are saved, um, he would be he would be removed from the church and considered to be Uh, not part of Christ. Um, Now, why? Why is that? Well, because this distinction that we're making between justification and sanctification, they are blurring them together. And they are are not making a distinction there as justification being this legal positional declaration versus the experiential uh, aspect of, of being justified, the experience of, hey, I've been justified and now... I'm being made. Uh, I, I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus, um, and we'll, yeah. So we'll we'll unpack that a little more. I'll, I'll give sort of a little more nuance to that because I think it'll it'll help us when we get to talking about what it means that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Okay. Is that where the Catholic Church still it is. Yeah. Can you just explain what it is that? They believe? Yeah. Yeah. So, I'll. Um, is later? It is later. Okay, Can on. you hold it? Let's hold it. Um, I think it'll make sense where where we're going to unpack it a little more. Uh, but that's but that's why, at its essence, this justification, sanctification, not being made a distinction, uh, there not being a distinction made between them. Okay, that's why. So let's think about how let's think about how it works. All right, how uh, if if it's true that all are guilty, all are are therefore condemned before God by works of the law, none of us will be justified. And and we're saying here, we're seeing here that God justifies his people. How is that possible without God being the the abomination, being the the wicked judge from Proverbs 17? How is that possible? How is it that he can declare someone righteous without compromising his character? Uh, And so... Let's read Romans three twenty-one to 26. Can somebody read that?
1: But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe.
0: One of the greatest buts in all the Bible, right? Um, but now, it says in 21, but now the righteousness of God that we said no one can attain to, it's been revealed apart from the law. But is it in, um, is it in conflict with the law? No, why not? Yeah, the law and the prophets have always attested to it, right? They have pointed forward to it and, and, and it is the righteousness of God that's not by works, not by works of the law, by which we cannot stand before God justified. It's not by those works. Rather, it's the righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus for all who believe. And why does he say there's no distinction? Yeah, because remember, he's he's his aim in Romans is to unite Jews and Gentiles under the banner of, hey, none of you are more righteous than the other. Um, you need to understand how the gospel works, um, and so his aim is to say, there's no distinction. All have sinned, Jews, Gentiles, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified. How? By what? His grace. It's a gift. through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So redemption, salvation is in Christ Jesus. How? Because God put him forward to be a propitiation. What does propitiation mean? Yeah, satisfaction of God's wrath, right? He's put Jesus forward uh, so that, and, and listen, when we say he's put Jesus forward, Jesus Himself willingly submitted. He willingly gave His His life. So this is not Jesus kicking and screaming going to the cross. This is Jesus, as the the Son of God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit together working to bring about salvation. This is the Son laying down His own life. You know, no one takes my life; I lay it down. Um, so, so the, this idea of propitiation is the Father putting Jesus forward. As a satisfaction of his wrath, his blood is spilt. He dies the death that we deserve uh, on the cross, um, having taken our sins upon him, and and thus giving us uh, giving us his his righteousness. So, um, yeah, he has been put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Why? So that God this was to show that God's to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, in the past, he passed over former sins, right? He had He had forgiven his people. Um, but it was righteous because this was always his plan, to put forward the Son. He was righteous then. It's also to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier uh, of the one who has faith in Christ. So, um, So as we think about Two elements then, this this is the sort of framework, the passage that we're working within here. But as we think about two elements of justification, uh, number one, we have the forgiveness of sin. So in justification, when we are justified, our sins are forgiven. This is what many theologians refer to as the negative. So if there are two aspects, two elements to justification, many theologians refer to this as the negative aspect. Something is removed. What's removed? The, the guilt of our sin, right? We are forgiven, it is removed. Um, so think, think about if you're in a courtroom and, and you're, uh, you are on trial, just think about your own, your own sin, right? So every time that you have lied, every time that you have disobeyed your parents, every time that you have uh, lusted after someone who's not your spouse, every time you have um, yeah, taken from someone or coveted what they have, every time you have hated a brother or a sister, uh, every time you have dot, 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 fill in the blank. They're all being read off and then Jesus says, I, yeah, I'm guilty, Your Honor. Jesus is doing that. Jesus is taking the punishment for our sins. He is, he is bearing the guilt for our sins. Is he inherently guilty? Is he inherently unrighteous? No. But he's going to be declared condemned because of our sin. So that is, that is what's happening. Um, the sins that are ours are accounted as being gone from us. Right? They are accounted as belonging to, to Jesus. Because the reality is, we need to never forget this. Our sins don't go into a vacuum. They're not just, God doesn't just say, Okay, I forgive you. I'll let you off the hook on this one. Why? Why doesn't he? Because he's a just judge. Right? He is not the wicked judge of Proverbs 17. He is not the abomination. He loves justice. He will carry out justice. Um, So, our Our sins don't go into a vacuum. They're poured out on Jesus. It's so hard to wrap your head around the fact that God's not saying, Yeah, I'll attribute it to Jesus, but I know you did it. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, how that's that kind of forgiveness is impossible for me to quite wrap my head around. Yeah.
0: yeah no that's right because jesus he is he is a doer of the law right he is romans two thirteen Jesus is a doer of the law, so he's righteous, and so he can willingly say i i lay my own life down your honor uh for the guilt of this person i am I am exchanging places with him, I am bearing his guilt um, yeah so so it's not it's not a, yeah, our sin doesn't disappear, God doesn't wink at it, God, God pours out his wrath on it. Um, and it's Jesus crying out, like David in Psalm 22, my God, my God, on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Because he's, he's feeling the weight of being forsaken, you know, forsaken by God in our place. You know, he's feeling the weight of dying and facing the wrath of God. Eric? Yeah, that's, that's where the uniqueness of, of sort of this, this um, case is not the word. I'm, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, but this instance is unique because God is the judge and because uh, God himself, being a triune God, uh, the father is able to pour out his wrath on the son and, uh, and it's God himself paying the penalty um, as the judge who, ha- who, who gives the demands. Um, yeah, that's a, really, a really good question though. I think it's, yeah, it's really good. Um, so that's, a, that's what we mean by just the idea of, of propitiation. Jesus as a doer of the law is therefore a, a, a worthy sacrifice and he's able to lay his lone life down. He's able to exchange his life for ours. Now, um, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So remember the, the law lays out covenant curse for breaking for breaking the law when Jesus becomes that curse. He he is taking again, this just an example here in Galatians 3:13, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Isaiah 53 says that he was crushed for our iniquities. Um, and all that said, justification and forgiveness are not identical. Right? So just like we said. This is, forgiveness is the negative aspect. The, the, it's not negative in the sense that it's bad, it's great, uh, but negative in the sense that something is taken away, our sin is removed. But then, not only is our sin removed, something else, something is now added to us, something is attributed to us. And that second, that second aspect, the positive aspect, is uh, the imputed righteousness of Christ. Right? So Christ's righteousness is now imputed. That word imputed means it's accounted. Right, it is. It is given to us. It's put to our account. Um, it is represented as being done or possessed by us. What Jesus, his act of righteousness, his always obeying the law, his always being righteous, it is attributed. It is accounted to us. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah we just we want to be clear that our righteousness before God is never depending upon our own work. never God has not made us righteous such as, so, so that we are now responsible you know having a clean slate as it were, we're now responsible to to work out um, our salvation and our strength or now to live righteous and this is part of where the the idea of purgatory comes from because it's there's this idea of um, yeah, we've we've been we've been made righteous, but then in reality we don't live righteously, and so we, or we, we are not perfect, and so now as believers we have to go and work off whatever, um, yeah whatever sins we now commit. Um, there's much more much more to purgatory than that, but that's yeah that's one one sort of implication of it. Just, yeah. I, mean, I think there's
1: a, a beautiful picture. Testament, Zechariah chapter
0: 3. I don't know if you're going to hit that, but... Um, I'm not. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> he, Go for
1: it. I just commended to the to, uh, to folks to read, and it's this vision of this high priest uh, who's going before the Lord, and Satan's there, and he's being condemned, and the high priest is standing there in dirty garments, mm-hmm. you know, and and God says, you know, um, he takes the dirty garments and gives him new, beautiful, spotless garments. And um, that's justification
0: in a nutshell. It's so true, yeah. Yeah. Every time the minister in the temple was, in the tabernacle in the temple, every time they would offer sacrifices, what were they first to do? Purify themselves. But always, every instance we have a purification of uncleanliness being made clean, all of it is looking forward to the day when Christ will make those realities. Verse
1: 4 of that chapter says, uh, and the angel said to those who were standing there, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Amen. It's beautiful. Picture.
0: So good, yeah. What is it? Where is that?
1: It's Zechariah chapter 3. Okay. What what verse? Uh, I mean, the, it starts at the beginning, the, the kind of the, the, the picture. Gotcha.
0: Vision. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. That's great. Yeah, so... Yeah, so, so the way this works, though, is it's through our union with Christ. It's our union with Christ. Um, as we are united with him, our righteousness rests on his perfect righteousness. His perfect righteousness, remember, is, is perfect. It's complete. Right? He always obeyed so that now his always obeying is applied to us. Such that when we, when we sin, because we still have the flesh, um, we are still declared righteous based on his merit, not based upon our own. Okay. Um, so this is where I was gonna come back to just the Council of Trent. The way they defined justification uh, was as an inner renewal plus pardon and acceptance. With that renewal, the being renewed inwardly being the basis for the pardon. Okay, so, the, so what, what that means is the sanctification, the, the process of becoming more like Jesus, that's the basis for, uh, for our justification is, is, what, is what that means, okay? So now that it's, it's up to us, we've been saying sort of the flip side of that, but you know, the implication is now it's up to us to live righteously. It's up to us to, uh, we, we, are, we are righteous, um, they're saying we are righteous by Christ, uh, so they wouldn't—they wouldn't deny that we are saved by faith. They're just going to deny that we're saved by faith alone, right? They're going to—they're going to point to—they're going to look to the accompanying works uh, as as the um, yeah as the basis of justification. Mert, you got something? No, I'm just tracking. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I see you. I see you tracking. Um, Yeah. Because you're saved by faith, but then you have to keep up after that. Yeah, that's that's right. That's and which is why they would very explicitly say you anyone who who professes that we are saved by faith alone, let him be anathema, let him be excommunicated because they they believe that to be saved by faith alone is a heresy. Um, yeah. And this is why Reformation, this is why it was necessary. This is why reclaiming the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone is so important. Because this is what the reformers were, were seeing these kinds of abuses, these kinds of pointing to works for merit as, as being unbiblical. So
1: true.
0: Yeah, that's really good. We're gonna go there in a second. Um, no, that's no, that's really good. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think you because I think you have to deal with that. You have to deal with what does James mean? So we'll deal with it in just a second. So Second Corinthians five twenty one. I think it captures the the negative positive side really well. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin. So who's him? Jesus. For our sake, the Father made Jesus, uh, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Okay? That captures both. Um, Jesus takes our sin... We take his righteousness. We, we are clothed in his righteousness. Now, how is this applied to us? So we have this, this idea. It's out there, right? We, we have this doctrine, uh, justification. He declares his people justified. Who are his people? How is it applied to us? Well, it's applied to us through faith. It's received faith. Uh, by us, it's received by faith. Okay. Um, now, there's there is there's more in the backdrop. We we taught we one of the, our foundations lessons is on regeneration, so on the Spirit's work uh, to to give life, to quicken the heart, to bring the dead to life. I think this is a great complementary doctrine. Uh, so I would I would commend uh, maybe listening to that lesson. But that said, faith is the instrument by which we are, are receive justification. It's, it's the instrument through which we are justified. So the way I would, I would describe it is it's, it's, only, it's only an instrument, okay? It's not a work. It's an instrument. And it's the only instrument through which the imputed righteousness of Christ may be received, okay? It is only an instrument. It's the only instrument through which the imputed righteousness of Christ may be received, Hebrews 1, Does anybody know that verse? It is about faith. Yeah, it's it's. Um, yep. faith is the substance of things hoped for, the subs, or the uh, the conviction of things unseen. Right, um, faith is is us being convinced, being convicted. That what God says is true, that Jesus is the means of, of our salvation, Vanessa uh, Hebrews 11 verse one and eleven verse six is a good complimentary or a good one to go together because it says without faith, it is impossible to please God yeah so and, and as we talk about faith, wrapped up in the idea of believing God of, of, of looking to Christ as our hope, we're also in in order to look to Christ as our hope, we believe that we need him, right? So wrapped up in the idea of faith, the context of faith, is one of recognizing our own sin, our own unrighteousness before him, that we need his righteousness, um, because if we don't believe those things, why would we trust him for righteousness, right? So, um, so when we talk about having faith, we're, we're acknowledging uh, an awareness and a confession of our own sin, of our need for him, uh, that our righteousness does not come from us, uh, but that rather it's counted to us, it's imputed to us um, because of his sacrifice on our behalf. Okay. Ephesians 2 8 and 9. Um, sorry, guys, we're going we're gonna to rush through this last, last couple of minutes, but Ephesians 2 8 and 9. Does somebody have that? How are we saved? By grace. Through faith. faith. And then what does it say it is? It's a gift. What's it not by? Works. Works. Because what would happen if it was by works? We would take credit. credit. There would be boasting. There uh, There would be grounds to boast. But as it is, We are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift. Therefore, boasting is excluded. Right? No works. Works can't do anything for you before God, for us before God. So, yeah, God's grace and substitutionary atonement made by Jesus, which is applied to us, is received through faith. Right? And we are justified by the object of that faith, not by faith itself. Right. So just having faith is not a work to be counted to us. We can't say, oh, you know, I'm I'm a genius because I have faith. You know, that's why that's why I'm a Christian no, or that's why I'm saved. No, you're saved because Christ died for you um, and was raised for you. That's why you're saved. And that and that faith, all it is, is an instrument that God gave you in the first place. The grace that he applied to you, that was his merit. The faith that he gave you, that was his doing, so there's no room to boast about that. There's no reason to think that we're more intelligent than the next person. All we can do is praise God because of his work on our behalf and give thanks to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let's. This was done before time began. Yeah. So we have nothing to do with it. That's so true. Yeah, God, uh, yeah, before the foundation of the world decreed and, and decided what he would do, the way he would act, the way he would save his people, who his elect were, who he would pour out his love and lavish his grace upon. Right, That's, that's really good. Um, James. Merck, you mentioned James. James says, uh, I'm going to read a little snippet of it. If I can get there. James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and any one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And he's going to give two examples. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Did you hear that? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar... If your mind's blowing, hang on one second. Um, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's back in Genesis 3. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. And then the second example, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers, and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Is there a contradiction? Why not? It's not in terms of like declaring righteous, but more so in the sense of
1: sanctification.
0: Okay, yeah, so, so the way I would describe it, I would actually say the word is still capturing the idea of declaring righteous, but the audiences are different, right? So 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 they're employing the word differently. So Paul, what is he writing what is he writing against? Well, so yeah, he's he's writing against the idea of approaching God through works, right? Right, yeah, 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 so, yeah, so I, so Paul is, he is, he is, no one will be justified before who? Before God, by works of the law. God the judge, he sees all, no one, he will not declare anyone righteous by their works. He would declare righteous by the work of the Son. But James, he's telling you, faith without works, it's, it's dead, Right? he's gonna say, um, he, he's getting at the idea that we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. The faith, that is, by the way, that's not my words, that is um, <laughs> often attributed to Martin Luther. Um, but, but, but what he's saying is, he's talking about James, he's, he's giving the example of Abraham saying, Abraham was justified by works. His works declared him to be righteous in the sense that they proved they declared what was already a reality in him, right? They declared righteous. They, they proved a righteousness that he had because, uh, because God, when he justified him in Genesis, I think I said Genesis 3 or that was so wrong, Genesis uh, 15, when God declared him, um, when it says, it says he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, <coughs> belief. And that's before he ever, uh, went to the altar with Isaac. It's before he ever did was circumcised. It's before any of his works. So he believed God, and that was the basis of his righteousness. And so what what James is saying is that your your works will prove the reality of your heart. Right, Karen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But but again, you're holding Paul and James together by saying, "We we have no none of our merit can approach God. We we can't be saved. We can't be declared just righteous before Him in our own works. It is solely on the basis of Jesus. But when that when we are justified, when the reality of the Spirit is in us, then we necessarily will." live and and produce good works. And so that's why James is saying faith that doesn't work, faith that has no evidence, that's that's not real faith because real faith, when God is actually at work, it will produce good works. But we have to be clear and make that distinction of they together, that faith that is working, the works themselves are not the basis of whether we gain or lose our justified standing before God. It's solely the work of Jesus. And that's why we're declared righteous apart from any works. Yeah, Rachel. That's really good. I, I've certainly wrestled with that personally. I, I imagine every Christian has wrestled with that in some way. But you know what i It's yeah. just
1: like, if you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't
0: care. That's right. Yeah. You would, you would,
1: your soul would just go on like, oh,
0: well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. So, so, when we do good works, on, you know just as we think practically, when we do good works, we should never look at that and go, oh, man, I'm awesome. God must really love me now um no we do good works and we say praise god praise god for the way that he's he has worked in me this is his doing um but but i don't think we should just say oh i'm not yeah i didn't do anything i didn't do good works like you know we don't have to be you know overly spiritual about it i think we just let's praise god for his work in us and the fruit that that is born not taking credit for any of it but then on the flip side as uh, what, what rachel's talking about you know, those times where we, we sin, um, I, I think on the one hand, we're meant to go, yeah, God is not pleased with our sin. Yeah, we should hate our sin, and we should repent of it. And, and walking in sin is no basis for going, oh man, things are well. Um, it, it should sober us and cause us to run, you know, all the more to Jesus. Um, but both sort of instances should lead to whichever side we're on, should lead to praise God for His work on our behalf in Christ. Yeah, um, Guys, we're, we're past time. I'm very sorry. Let's, uh, let me pray, and then <laughs> we will get out of here. Father, we do thank You for Your work to justify us, and we, we praise You because it is all Your work. You, through Your Son, by the power of Your Spirit, have worked in salvation uh, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to save our souls, Lord. And, and as Ephesians says, this is all to the praise of Your glorious grace. And so we, we pray that You would give us thankful hearts. You would give us hearts that hate our sin. Um, and that You would help us by our lives to just prove the reality that You're doing inside of us. And and where we look and are, and are discouraged by the ways that we sin, we pray that You'd help us, Lord, to remember that You You don't love us based on our own merit you love us based on the work of Christ you declare us righteous based on his work and so would you help us to flee to you um, and and to remember your goodness and love and, and then work to uh, yeah, work to live out uh, the faith that we say we believe would you help us Lord would you grow us would you mature us and uh, we love you and it's in Christ's name amen thanks y'all <coughs> You bet.